Do you have one? You got my heart. You got my soul. You got silver. You got the gold. Just, uh, I was uh, going to do a podcast. And I was just going to call it Rambling Man. I was going to just turn the microphone on and like associate, free associate songs from my youth and stuff like that. And Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the mystical underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Trish McGregor and Rob McGregor and our tech magician, John Posey. You can go to the mysticalunderground.com, which takes you to, to our blog.synchrosecrets.com where we make regular posts. And you can find out about our books. They're all available on Amazon. Our most recent nonfiction book is Phenomena Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. In the world of fiction, Trisha's latest novel is Skin Shifters, and Rob's latest novel is called Tulpas. Our guest today is Jeff Lindsay, the award-winning author of the New York Times best-selling Dexter novels, upon which the hit Showtime TV show Dexter was based. His books have appeared in 44 languages around the world, and that's about twice as many countries as my Indiana Jones novels has appeared in. <laughs> Good going, Jeff. Although he's a full-time writer now, Jeff has worked as an actor, comic, director, playwright, MC, bouncer, teacher, <laughs> columnist, TV host, singer, songwriter, composer, musician, steelworker, sportscaster, dishwasher, screenwriter, cook, detective, gardener, and sailing instructor. Oh, my God, the guy can't hold a job <laughs> in, in oh, Hollywood. I'm sure you out a couple, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, in Hollywood, Jeff worked four years for Steve Allen, did impromptu, and led a new wave band, the Fabulous Dorks. He went on to work for six years as a story uh, analyst, script doctor, and screenwriter with John Davis, Joe Dante, Michael Fennell, Warner Brothers, Freeze, 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 Freeze Entertainment. <laughs> Entertainment, Fox, and others, and even had breakfast with Steven Spielberg. Uh, he has taught writing and screenwriting at the university level and at many workshops around the country and has written more than two dozen plays. We should also say that we have known Jeff and his writer wife, Hillary Hemingway, for a couple of decades. And I've also stood clear of Jeff when he's in his kitchen with a sharp knife in his hand. That's a Dexter joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, welcome. Sorry we had such screw-ups at the beginning there. <laughs> Yeah, quite a few, actually. I hope that will carry us through the rest of the week in peace. I don't know. Yeah, I hope so, too. Well, anyway, I like you singing. <laughs> um, tell well, us about your... One of many voices. What? Hello? Hello? Am I Did still here? Yes, you're yeah, still yes, here. You're still there. Yeah, I'm you. just expecting to 
cut off any second now because <laughs> okay. that's the way it's going. So. Okay, listen, tell us about your early professional life and your path to becoming a writer. Sure, which profession, though? <laughs> <laughs> the, the writing part. Any part. Actually, it's kind of a, a, a compound question. Um, I always thought, you know, I might end up as a writer, but when I got to college and discovered theater, um, I was off into that for a while. <laughs> and I, I wanted to be an actor. Um, and then a director, but I ended up with a couple of uh, repertory companies, and there'd be a there was an experience where um, there was someone supposed to write a new play, and the playwright died. So they came to me and said, "Hey, don't you write sometimes? Can you write us a new play?" So I was a writer again. And then when I was uh, doing comedy, um, people would come up to me and say, I, "I like your material. Can you write me material?" And I was a writer again. So this happened in a couple of different professions. Uh, even at, you know, when I had the fabulous Dorts, which is one of the greatest undiscovered bands of all time. <laughs> and they said to me, we're tired of writing covers. Will you write some new stuff? And so I was a writer again. And finally you go, okay, God, I get the message. I'm a writer. So that's, that's how it, you know, I just sort of shifted over. It was a matter of what I would write rather right. than whether I would. That yeah, that's cool. So your early novels were uh, co-written with uh, Hillary and uh, were about time travel and aliens. How come you didn't stay in the sci-fi or fantasy fields? Well, um, we started having children. <laughs> the little really? boogers needed a great deal more than a new pair of shoes most of the time. So um, actually, I just decided to write things that um, large quantities of people wanted to read and pay me money for. Right. And uh, the truth is, Dexter was just going to be a one-off book, a sort, of, um, a sort of middle finger to the industry. And it, it took off like a shot. I, didn't, I, I was more surprised than anyone else about that. Hmm. So you'd only planned on writing one? Yeah. And huh. they said, we want more. I'm like, but uh, uh, the story's over. And I said, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, I know that you and Hillary both uh, did that paranormal detective stuff. Right. Did that influence The Dark Passenger and Dexter? No. Um, some of the experiences that came before that that led to paranormal detectives certainly did. But um, Paranormal Detectives was all Hillary. I was sort of, you know, Watson to her homes. And she'd say something like, look at this. This is amazing. And I'd go, good God, Hillary. <laughs> You're joking. It's impossible. And we'd move on from there. That was hers. I was writing um, the fatherhood column at the time. Okay. And um, so I would just tag along for these because I'm interested in the subject, too. Uh -huh. What was the fatherhood column? Um, Hillary took a job where uh, she was producing the evening news at Fox, and that meant she was away from about 10 in the morning until midnight. <laughs> and so I was left raising two little girls by myself, pretty much. And there'd be things happening like uh, our oldest, I took her 
to the store to buy her first bra. (laughs) (laughs) She thought it was hilarious, and the women in the store thought it was hilarious, and I was dying. (laughs) (laughs) At a certain point, as these experiences mounted, I thought, I bet this would make a really good column parenting from the dad's point of view uh-huh. and uh, I pitched it it took off uh, I like to say it became semi-syndicated because it was in five papers at its peak huh. and it went several years uh, some of the stuff is really good I read it now and I still go wow that's fu- oh I can't say it's funny I wrote it <laughs> <laughs> well what papers Jeff oh god I don't remember Fort Myers okay. paper oh uh, okay it sounds in the region. Uh-huh. Um, it might have been pirated once or twice because I went to a college reunion and a friend from Baltimore said, hey, I had one of your columns on my refrigerator. <laughs> I was like, in Baltimore? Yeah. Uh-huh. Didn't know about that one. Huh. Hmm. So you and Hillary both started out in Hollywood, right, as skip, uh, script writers? Uh, tell us about that. Right. Well, um, I knew Hillary, of course, uh, well, most of her life, and I guess now most of mine, our families were good friends when we were growing up in Miami. And um, so when she came out to Hollywood, I rented her a room. Um, And um, she watched me. uh, uh, I would go to a performance of a play I'd written and then another play I was acting in, and then my comedy gig, and then my band rehearsal. <laughs> at a certain point, there's a great moment in City Slickers where Curly says one thing, holds up his finger. That's what Hillary did to me. You'd be really good if you just did one thing. <laughs> <laughs> says the Gemini. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... Uh, it, it became, again, one of those moments where I go, okay, I'm supposed to be a writer. And we started, she had a certain amount of, well, entree, but in Hollywood it's called suck, which means influence. Mm-hmm. They, oh, yeah, I suck with that studio. And, um, <laughs> she had that because she just won a prestigious screenwriting award. So we started working together and pitching together. And um, we got right to the finish line a half dozen times and the most bizarre things would happen one time the president of the studio personally met with us and said love it we're gonna make it i'll call your agent and monday morning the headline in variety was that that studio had filed for chapter 13 bankruptcy oh, God. <laughs> hmm. another yeah. time we got to the finish line and they were actually about to stencil our names on a parking place on the studio lot. <laughs> they had a star they loved, a director they loved, and the director's first movie came out and it tanked, and the actor's next movie came out and it tanked, and so they realized our script was terrible too, and that never got <laughs> There was stuff like that for a couple of years, and uh, so when we went back to... Uh, Hillary's mom had been diagnosed with cancer and given six months to live. So we thought, we'll go be with her and help for six months. Um, and we started writing books then. What we didn't realize, and should have, is that her mother hates doctors. And she lived seven years after that. Wow. <laughs> so 
but the book started selling, so it, it worked out pretty good. Hmm. Yeah. So how did you meet Hillary in the first place? He said they grew up. Their families knew each oh, other. Oh, okay. I remember your the dad telling me. Yeah, the actual meeting, as I remember it, was going with my father to see her father down at the docks, which is where you'd usually find uh, both our fathers. <laughs> and uh, they were living on a boat at the time, though, the, the Hillary's family. And there was this horrible little two-year-old whirling dervish, and she was on a rope. And she also had a floaty on her back. Which, <laughs> it had to be good sense because she was running back and forth to the end of the rope and going whop boom when she hit the end and run the <laughs> other way whop boom. <laughs> totally hyperactive and active and horrible. And I thought, oh, God, I thought I liked it, but that one, no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was it? So she was. How old were you then? Um, I guess I was twelve, maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, did she? You're robbing the cradle. Yeah, you were robbing the yeah. cradle, Jeff. <laughs> she did grow up a little bit, yeah. <laughs> she did grow up. <laughs> All right. Um, what's your uh, favorite genre to read and write? Um, to read, it would be either historical fiction or fantasy. Uh, to write, I don't really know. Um, I mean, I... I I write stuff that people want to read from me. Um, but in full disclosure, I've also written about 3,000 pages of a fantasy series that I really like. Um, I've showed it to a few friends who really like it. But um, there's this thing called typecasting that applies to writers, too. Right. So, um, 3,000 pages, that's a lot. I, I, it's like, Trish, I wonder what would happen if you suddenly decided to write a feminist manifesto. Um, <laughs> it would probably be like, uh, how does that go with all the mystery writing awards? <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but, well, tell me more about this evolution of the Dark Passenger, because that was one thing in the Dexter uh, TV show and books that I really loved. The... Uh, the original thought was it was sort of a, a distancing device for the character mm -hmm. to sort of disassociate from the deeds. As I got further into it, um, I got a certain amount of psychological backing for it. I did do a lot of uh, psychological research on that and on my new character, by the way, Riley Wolf. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, you about Riley. Which is it? I'm not actually plugging Dexter anymore. Yeah. Um, and um, so it just seemed like, you know, at, at first a device, but later it, it just became kind of important and fun for me. Mm -hmm. And um, just like an essential piece of the character. Mm. So yeah. did, did you uh, spend much time on the set yourself? Uh, did you go there very often? He was um, in a couple episodes. We went a couple of times um, in the first three or four seasons we visited. And then after that, I was just too busy and Hillary was busy and the kids were keeping us jumping. Right. My favorite story from visiting the set was when our youngest kid was, I guess, four. 
and we all went to the set together. And she saw Michael Hall, was like, hi. And she ran screaming over to Jennifer Carpenter, who played Deborah, <laughs> and grabbed onto her leg and said, help me, help me. And later that night, she's talking to Grandma and Grandpa on the phone, and she goes, guess what, Grandma and Grandpa? I met Dexter, and he didn't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, now tell us about this new series uh, with Riley Wolf, Just Watch Me and Fool Me Twice. Right. Or fools me twice. Well, Riley Wolf, uh, there are some common points with Dexter, like a traumatized background. I don't know why that attracts me. Um, I probably had a traumatized background myself. <laughs> not even real. But um, he becomes not a serial killer, but the world's greatest thief. Hmm. And he doesn't mind killing someone if they get in the way. But he doesn't go out of his way to kill people either. It's just like a, a complication that he takes care of mm -hmm. efficiently. And he's become so good that all he really wants to do is things that are impossible. Um, which is how the book, the first book, Just Watch Me, starts. He, he finds something totally impossible, impenetrable security, and says, I'm going to do this. Think I can't? Just watch me. Hmm, okay. What does he steal? Pardon me? What What does he steal? In the first book, he steals the crown jewels of Iran. Oh, my God. <laughs> which are in basically a vault-like museum guarded by an elite team of... Um, it's a team of American mercenaries based on Blackwater. And in mm -hmm. our a platoon of Iranian um, revolutionary guard, revolutionary guard, and the greatest electronic security ever, state-of-the-art stuff. And it's in, totally impossible to get into it, and somehow he does. Hmm. Oh. How did you research that? Wow. You, I mean, you didn't go to Iran. <laughs> did no, you? I wish I could have. Um, but aside from being really difficult to arrange, it's really expensive too. Yeah, but you, you did know, a lot. Kids don't need new shoes, so yeah. it's what? What's that, Rob? Uh, you did a lot of uh, traveling when you're uh, promoting the Dexter books and TV series. Uh, I know you went to Australia at least once. Uh, how many countries did you visit? Uh, Australia twice, and oh, I love wow. it, Dan. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh. And uh, dry flights. And, and I've been to a lot of the continent, most recently France and Romania, hmm. um, United Kingdom, all, all of the countries, except Wales, I guess. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Italy, Germany, France, um, France a couple of times. It's, it's funny to me, I'm more popular in France than Germany. Than <laughs> No, no, this is Vigilante. No, we don't approve. <laughs> don't approve. We don't approve. <laughs> and in French, well, it's like, but yes, yeah, of course, he kills them. He cannot help it. It is very nice. <laughs> <laughs> what was Romania like? Oh, God. Romania was just so wonderful. It was one of those, it, it, it's like a life altering experience. Mm. In the first place, everyone there, that I met 
speaks English as well as four or five other languages. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bizarre thing. I asked, and they all learned to speak more languages at like the age of four. Yeah, really? So I thought I would finally flummox my my escort. She was a, a high school student, and I'd heard her be fluent in um, French, Romanian, of course. English was almost accentless. And hmm. so I taught, tried to throw her a, a curve and spoke to her in Spanish. And she answered in better Spanish than mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. They're wonderful, warm people. One of my great mentors was Romanian, and they revere him there, so that gave me more status. And I, I was, wow, I, I showed up at what I thought was my event, and we're in the largest theater. Hmm. Four thousand people, and I'm like, oh, so in the lobby, right? And they said, no, no, on the main stage. And I walk out on stage, and the place is packed, no empty seats. Wow. I was just like, it's me. Don't you get it? <laughs> what is going on? Is someone else coming out? <laughs> it was really oh. odd. Like okay, I admit it, gratifying as hell. Yeah. What were you there to just talk about Dexter, or were you going to sing? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they uh, in the middle of the interview on stage, someone came out and thrust a guitar into my hands. <laughs> so I did a couple of quick numbers. Wow, uh, that's versatility. Yeah, that really is <laughs> on the spot. Yeah. I don't dance. Tell you. Uh, Jeff, uh, one of the things I recall from years ago, uh, you telling us a uh, matter of concern is that because of the nature of Dexter, you're getting some weird followers and people contacting you. Could you tell us a little bit about how that went? Yeah, Rob, at a certain point, the followers cross over the line and become stalkers. Yeah. Mm. And that, that's happened more than once. The worst was a couple of years ago, uh, someone got in touch with me on Twitter, said, remember me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> their, their icon picture was of an orangutan. So I'm like, the face is familiar, I'm sorry. And it turns out that they, they accused me of stealing the idea for Dexter from him. And... Um, he just remembered recently because he'd been uh, almost struck by lightning. God. And it went downhill from there. <laughs> um, he was posting, when I say all over the internet, it's not really much of an exaggeration. There was, for example, before I stopped tracking them down, there was um, a radio station, an AM station in Arizona was giving away a new pickup truck. And he filled out the form by saying, I don't really want a truck because they took my driver's license away, but Jeff Lindsay stole my idea and I'm going to get him for it. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Eventually, um, I had to get a detective to track him down and get him to go back on his meds. Wait. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Have you heard anything since? No, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, okay, that's good. <laughs> Wasn't there a woman? Not quite as threatening. Like one day a guy just walked in the front door 
and started pitching an idea that was going to make us rich. Now, I'm sure you guys get that too. Like, I have a great idea. It will make you rich. All <laughs> you have to do is fight it and we'll split 50-50. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you mean he walked in the front door of your house? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. Jeez. Was it this when you were living in Florida, right? Yes, before we yeah. moved to Kansas. Yes. <laughs> Safer in Kansas. <laughs> okay. Well, um, so what was it like seeing your character come to life? That must have been kind of thrilling. Did he look like what you had imagined? <laughs> no. And in fact, there was a couple of great Hollywood moments. The first was they called me to say, we think we found the guy to play Dexter. And I said, okay, who? They said, uh, Michael T. Hall. And I didn't know the name. They said, the guy from uh, Six Feet Under. <laughs> and I thought of yeah. others. Yeah, you know? And he, he's tall, blonde, kind of wholesome looking. And I thought, eh, I don't know if you think so, but I don't know that. They said, we mean the other guy, his brother. And <laughs> if you look at Six Feet under the character Michael played there, David Fisher, is sort of squat. Right. He looks like a troglodyte almost. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh no, no, that's wrong. He can't do it. And they told me, well, we've already cast him. Uh, <laughs> and you thought it was the weird brother, his brother, the tall guy. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. the first day on the set, um, uh, I'm walking around looking for the guy, and I don't see him anywhere. But this tall, kind of handsome guy walked by a couple of times like he was trying to greet me. And I'm not now, not now. I'm looking for Michael. I want to, you know. <laughs> and that turned out to be him. Uh, <laughs> he totally, he's a shapeshifter. Nobody uh, told me that. Huh. And I have to say, as I've seen a lot of my plays put up and, I, you know, I've written scripts and all that. And it never works out well. We know that. <laughs> so I was. I was watching the first scene they were shooting that day, the first scene I'd seen Michael do. And when he said his line, I burst into tears. And it's odd because the line was when Michael, as Dexter, looks up and says, refrigerated trucks. And I saw that and I went, oh, God, that's really Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> and I never regret it. Um, he's done a wonderful, he did a wonderful job. He was better than I could have hoped. And uh, just, you know, forever and ever, I'll be grateful that they cast him. Hmm. Uh, Who do you see playing Riley Wolf? I don't have any pictures yet. Um, I, I mean, it should be someone like in the 25 to 35 years old uh -huh. age range. Uh, someone athletic, someone with sort of um, neutral looks that they can look like anybody. Mm -hmm. They have to be good accents and you know all of that. And it should be someone who doesn't, the kind of actor who takes pride in not being recognized in a part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. McConaughey, he did the, uh, I forget the picture, but um, it's the one that he got the Oscar for. And it didn't look like him. And he took pride in doing that. Um, oh, yeah, Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, uh -huh. that's the kind of actor I want. Um, there's an old, old story of um, of um, uh, Lawrence Olivier putting on the makeup to do Othello on Broadway. 
and his best buddy. Um, what, 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 what was the man's name? It was Jimmy Stewart, I think. Yeah. So Jimmy Stewart is watching him, and Olivier is carefully putting on makeup, darkening even the inside of his nostrils. It took him hours and hours and hours. And at a certain point, just watching this, Jimmy said, you, you know, Larry, they're going to know it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, but I, I want the kind of actor who takes the care so that they don't know it's him. Mm -hmm. um, that's really important to this character. Hmm. Yeah, I would think he'd have to blend in wherever he is. Yes, and it should be a surprise, at least a little bit, when you've been watching this this uh, new character for a while and you go, oh my God, it's him. Hmm. Uh, what about uh, Fools Me Twice? What does he steal? Oh boy, well, uh, <laughs> that one will be up in December. Mm -hmm. And it's, I have to tell you, I couldn't come up with a title at all. And um, so I pitched the story to the students in the class I was teaching. And I said, free book for anybody who comes up with the title. And the smart-ass kid who'd been sitting next to me all semester and correcting me leaned over and said, fool me twice. Huh, that's funny. Huh. All right, the book's yours, kid. He writes the titles. So in this, in this one, um, he's... Um, he's abducted, basically, kidnapped by one of the most dangerous people in the world, a billionaire arms dealer. Ooh. And this guy has a thing for this one particular piece of art uh, that's impossible to get. And so because of the reputation, he gets Riley Wolf and persuades him, in quotation marks, that he should steal it for him. The problem is that the particular item is a Raphael fresco. Um, a fresco is actually part of a wall. Right. <laughs> it, it's painted into the wall as the plaster is drying. And once the plaster dries and sets, the fresco is there as part of the wall forever. And a slightly larger complicating problem is that the wall is part of the Vatican, oh, God. which <laughs> is well known for pretty good security. <laughs> Um, it can't be done. I'm sorry. It's impossible. Which makes it Riley Wolf's job. Oh, God. Did you go to the Vatican? Uh, I didn't. Again, there were <clears throat> certain financial considerations, but I took as many <laughs> virtual tours as I could get. Yeah. And, you know, uh, all the books I could find on the subject. Hmm. And then I cheated a little. I admit it. <laughs> That's okay, Jeff. As a fiction writer, you're allowed to. <laughs> um, your dad was the retiring dean of fine arts in Tampa. Did that influence yeah. your choice to have this super thief choose art as his favorite target? Uh, yeah, that was a huge influence. Um, dad I mean, your dad was a character. I really liked him. Yeah, he, he was. And he instilled in me, I mean, I grew up in art galleries all over the place. Mm -hmm. And even when he was on the big trip to Europe, we spent it going into galleries and looking at cathedrals. So um, it was all in there. Dad was, before Tampa, 
he was at uh, Dean at Syracuse, and before that, of course, at Miami. Mm. Um, and he did stuff like uh, there's a great real super realist sculptor named Dwayne Hansen, and Dad gave him the start to his career. Basically, his first major exhibition and got a lot of publicity for it. Um, and so he really knew the stuff. And while I was starting, uh, while I was beginning the research on the character of Riley Wolf, he sent me, um, he gave me, he was living nearby, a bunch of books on detecting fakes and all of that, mm. which actually set me on the path to kind of the co-star of Riley Wolf, which is... Um, a woman who is the world's greatest art forger. Jeez, her, wow. name is, her name is Monique. She's uh, African-American and a truly great forger and the closest thing to a partner and friend that Riley Wolf has. Hmm. Now, there are going to be two more books in the series? Well, um, at the moment, there are two done. As I said, Fool Me Twice will be out in December. Um, just Watch Me is coming out in paperback, I believe, next month. Okay. Cool. And um, soon to be a major motion picture, by the way. Yay! Right. Yay, good going. Yay. All right. Good going. And I'm working on the third one, but um, I don't have a date for it yet. Do you have a title? Or you need that kid again? <laughs> I don't have a title. Yeah, I need to teach a class. Um, <laughs> This is, this is really tough for me. I've never done this kind of, I guess you call it caper writing, where yeah. it's it's ninety percent an intricate plot. Yeah. And that's very hard for me. I'm used to, you know, I, I like doing good characters. I'm, I pride myself on even the small characters are not just names; they have personalities. Right. You know, right. I start a chapter with a character you'll never see again. <laughs> with, with her saying, um, you know, oh, her feet hurt. She hates these heels. Why did she buy them? So you get a sense of the person behind what's happening. I like mm -hmm. that. But this was all plot. Well, the characters too, but I had to do a lot of plot. Yeah. Sort of like the Da Vinci Code. Yes. That type of... Uh -huh. like mm -hmm. A lot of complications, yeah. yeah. So, Je Jeff, since this is the mystical underground, I'd like to go back to your a uh, couple of your early books that you wrote with Hillary that dealt with UFOs. Have you ever seen a UFO yourself? Jeff is probably. an abductee. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, go ahead. I've probably seen a UFO. Uh -huh. um, they were several times and they were experiences like, what the hell was that? And you can't be sure. Yeah. Um, even just recently, um, Hillary and I were out stargazing and there was something that we thought was a satellite going by overhead and then it stopped and went back <laughs> and then it hovered for a while and it would make these ridiculous right angle turns at, at very fast speeds wow. it just then eventually just went zip and it was gone so who knows yeah that but, sounds like the tic-tac uh, one that the navy pilots yeah. were seeing yeah, yeah exactly so yeah. So it also, I'll have to send you the video that John Posey took of a UFO, several right. in Arizona, I think it was. Yeah, right. You and Hillary will like that one. Hotel window, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think 
I think we've all done enough research on this to think that, um, you know, the debunkers are kidding themselves. Mm -hmm. There's no actual proof. Other than a billion people having seen the same thing. There's there's something going on. It's just a question of... Yes. I've always said if 100 million people all around the world from all different levels of society said they had seen a yellow flower, <laughs> you believe in yellow flowers, even if you hadn't seen one? Right. <laughs> yeah. You would hope. What about ghosts? Have you ever seen a ghost? Oh, Lord God, Billy Bob, don't get me started on that. <laughs> I know yeah, you've got good stories, Jeff. I do. I've had several close encounters. Um, I don't know if Hillary told you this. This is one of my favorites. Right after we were married, we were living in a, a ramshackle old house on the hillside in L.A. And one night I woke up and there was a man at the foot of the bed. And he was he had a, 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 a sort of a you know Bogart hat pulled down low and a raincoat with a collar turned up. Jeez. And I sat up and went, what the? And then I heard Hillary gasp beside me, and I looked, and she was sitting up, and I turned back, and the man was gone. Hmm. And I said to her, did you just see something? And she said, yes. I said, what did you see? She said, a man wearing like a Bogart hat and a raincoat with the collar turned up. Oh, my God. Wow, that's a phenomenon. Maybe it was, no, maybe that, it was Bogart. A, well, that's a, well, that's a phenomenon of There's more to the story here. There's more to this story. At the time, my office was in the basement of this little house, and it had a window that looked out on the garden. One reason I liked it. Uh, I had stopped working after dark because I felt like I was being watched. And I turned to the window and looked, and there'd be nothing there. But I felt like someone had been looking in. This went on for a while before we saw the guy at the foot of the bed. Hmm. So I was getting seriously creeped out. Anyway, the landlord came for a visit. He was living in Oregon somewhere. And we're sitting and having a beer on the porch. And I said, tell me, um, has anyone else who lived here reported seeing something strange? (laughs) And he said, oh, you saw Carl. (laughs) Uh, Who's Carl? Now, here's the story. This is wonderful. This would make a great screenplay or something someday. (laughs) Back in the 20s, I think it was, um, the house had been owned by a pair of lesbians who ran a restaurant in downtown L.A. They had hired um, a hobo, a drifter, to do dishwashing for them, and they were letting him live in the basement. Oh, jeez. Now, the area that was slightly raised where the bed was, was directly under the upstairs bedroom that Hillary and I were in. And as this arrangement went on for a while, um, this drifter fell in love with one of the lesbians. Oh my God. Sort of the definition of a hopeless romance. <laughs> but um, at a certain point, he couldn't take anymore. He'd lie there at night under this very thin wooden floor and hear them making love. And he just couldn't take it anymore. And one night, he decided he just had to get out of there. And he put on his hat and his raincoat. It was raining. And he stepped outside. Um, The window that I'd been seeing him in was a door back then. 
Hmm. He stepped outside and he looked up at the house one more time and died of a heart attack. Yeah. Wow. Uh. Huh. That was but, he, but he has never left. Apparently not. <laughs> hmm. Well, did you, did you see him repeatedly? A uh, couple of times. And again, there was always the sense of someone looking in the window when right. I was downstairs. Very creepy. Uh, now, we've had other experiences. That, you know, there was one restaurant in an Indian graveyard, and there was one that an earlier girlfriend had a some kind of spirit that that basically attacked us until I had a friend do the, you know, with the sage and everything. Uh-huh. So, life, basically, there have been these things. I've come to conclude that it's not that they don't really exist. It's just that certain people are more susceptible to seeing them, having these experiences. Right. And right. sadly, Hillary and I are both that kind of person. <laughs> and Dexter as well. Yeah, Dexter too. <laughs> I don't know that he ever saw a ghost or anything, but oh, I'll well, ask the Dark him. Passenger, right? Would you, well, the how dark do you describe? Yeah, how would you describe the Dark Passenger? Not a ghost. You can describe it either mystically, metaphysically, as something, some kind of spirit that's inhabiting him, mm-hmm. or psychologically as, you know, a distancing effect so that he can do these things without killing. Yeah. Psychologically. Yeah. Okay. Now, does Riley Wolf have any kind of psychic experiences? Um, well, he has sort of a similar thing. To, um, to what Dexter had with the dark passenger. Mm-hmm. I was consciously looking for connecting points because an editor told me, you know, you should remind people and your fans like what they like and all of that. So I picked this one. And what Riley Wolf has is what he calls the darkness. Mm-hmm. The what? When he, goes to kill, when he goes to kill someone, he describes it as being like in a darkened movie theater watching an old movie. It's someone else is doing these things. Hmm. And he calls it the darkness? The darkness. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wow. Uh, Je- uh, our dog, Nigel, has stood up, <laughs> and that usually means we're at the end of our podcast. Uh, he's he, knows, in- he knows what the hour is. <laughs> so. Good boy. Yes. Great talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Thanks so much for doing this, Jeff. Glad We'd love to have you back on in December when your new book comes out. Yeah. I'd love to do it. And I hope that, you know, someday when, you know, God's in his heaven and all's right with the world again, you guys can come for a visit. Out oh, we'd love to. Yeah, do a little traveling again instead of stuck yeah. at Yeah, home. stuck at home is getting I old. Have- well, let's talk in December when your book comes out. Let us know the release date. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, thanks a lot. I look forward to doing it again. Oh, this is great. Yeah, okay, and I want next time I want you to sing more. We could uh, maybe get get Hillary on with you at the same time. That would be cool. Have a... well, not if I'm any of my songs. Uh, oh, <laughs> no duets. Uh, she doesn't like. She has a fine voice, but she doesn't like to use it. <laughs> okay, Jeff. Well, thanks again. And we'll send you the link when it goes up. Uh, Jeff, where can people find your books, uh, website, your Facebook, whatever whatever you use to promote your stuff? Well, the books 
are available all around the world at bookstop, fine bookshops everywhere. Okay. And to, to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at uh, Dexter Jeff. Okay. And my website is JeffLindsayBooks.com. Okay, perfect. JeffLindsayBooks.com. Okay. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical.